Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTP buddies, here's a podcast I like. It's called Light Me at Five, and it's hosted by people I like, Dean Jernigan, Jason LaFoon, and the world's oldest intern, Rusty Nixon. Light Me at Five takes you backstage into the lives of two stand-up comics and, of course, Rusty. You will hear about shows that went well and shows that went to hell. The guys also have local comedians on the show, so you can get a feel for the local scene. On the last episode, Jason talked about a play he saw in a mall parking lot. You'll just have to listen to this one. I LOL'd in the car. Check out Light Me at Five on all the podcast platforms. If you like it, smash that subscribe button. If you don't, that's okay. Just keep your mouth shut about it, all right? Light Me at Five. It's a good one. I have got an Indianapolis comedian who is one month away from recording her first full-length comedy album, and she's produced shows that raised over $15,000 for reproductive health groups in the Midwest and is a contributing writer for AWF magazine. And I did a little bit of digging and found out that she also wrote a whole bunch of articles for historicindianapolis.com about the cool parks in Indianapolis. Let's bring her out. It's Gwen Sunkel. Hey, I'm going to move you over here, Gwen. What's going on? So I, I just got to say, when you were writing for historicindianapolis.com, did you find out anything remotely interesting about the parks that you wrote about, or did you just do the best you could? No, I'm, I'm a real history buff, so I found okay. a, lot of, a lot of very interesting things, yeah. Okay, cool. I, I, I was an East Sider for a while, for a couple of years, yeah. and I worked at, uh, it was called Farrell's Restaurant at the Washington Square Mall. And, oh, okay. Uh, is the Washington Square Mall still a thing? Is it still open? Yes, it has like very few stores in it, um, or like very few um, re- tenants. Uh-huh. Um, but actually, there's like a guy in town, Tevin Stuttered, who um, is doing some really amazing things and like has been holding these. It's either monthly or bi-monthly, like job fairs and um, like entrepreneur fairs um, there. So uh, in the hopes that like he can get some more traffic in there and maybe some of these people can open up like, you know, actual longstanding stores. Uh Um, So that's a very long answer to your question to say, eh? It's it's still there. (laughs) The the physical structure still exists. Yeah, yeah. It's so it was a uh, it was a neat job. I actually started it in South Bend. I met my wife there and then uh-huh. moved to Indianapolis for a couple of years and moved back uh, back in the South Bend, Indiana area. And uh, now I'm in Huntsville, Alabama. So it's been uh, 
been a long ride. But yeah, I yeah. was uh, when I was. It was so funny when I was on the east side. It was it was a really nice little apartment complex. And the funny thing is, is you could drive like I think it was like two miles east. And uh-huh. all of a sudden you're in the corn. You're the, yeah. it's, it, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, you were in the middle of a city, uh, uh, the edge of a city and it was very mm-hmm. city-like and all of a sudden it was all corn. So that's what I remember about being on the East side. Yeah, definitely. If you take one of the non-interstates out, especially, it's just like all of a sudden you're, you're right. It's a, it's an abrupt change. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my, my road name was, uh, Mithoffer. Okay. And yeah. So that was, and it was real close to Pendleton Pike. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And there was a ground round. That's where we used to get dinner sometimes. Was the ground round? Wow. I, think, you, I think those are gone. I think I think they are as well. Scott, you are really showing your age here. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, I love it. Yes. <laughs> I that, wear. I yeah. It, like I wasn't showing it, just being on the screen with that quilt behind you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, thank you so much for being on the show, though. This is uh, it's really great Thanks to have you. Me. And it's funny because I, I I get to talk to a lot of indie comics. And uh, I think I think Dwight Simmons might have been the last one I had on. And it's yes. funny, Dwight and Alex Price were here in Huntsville a couple months ago. And they did a show. Yeah. And I, I got to see both of them. So I'm, I I know all of them and I've interviewed a few of them, but it's, it's great to finally get you on because they all say great things about you. So, oh, they're so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to get into I want to get right into the album part. Uh, uh-huh. because mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of comedians that released albums, mm-hmm. but you are in the pre-release part, which is yes. the planning and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, comedians do it so many different ways. They get a label, they self, uh, self-produce, um, they mm-hmm. do, you know, all different kinds of, uh, different ways. So first of all, what was the impetus of, uh, wanting to do the album and, you know, how mm-hmm. did you do it? How have you done it so far? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So a lot of like the primary reasons comedians record albums are like to have merchandise to sell at your show. Mm. Um, And nowadays, like to make money as a comedian, um, aside from like writing jobs, is um, getting your stuff picked up by Sirius XM. Um, mm-hmm. so if you have an album, it's easier to kind of like shop your jokes out through that as opposed to just sending them like, here's a one audio recording of one joke, you know? Uh-huh. Right. Um, so, and then, uh, so initially I was going to put the album out myself. Um, but then I, and so I was like making a lot of plans for that and everything and trying to figure out how to get it distributed and whatever. And um, then somebody from On Tour Records approached me and asked if I would like to do it through them. And I said, absolutely, because Uh I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And I was having to, like, learn it all on the fly. Um, And, you know, other people are very helpful in, like, sharing their knowledge and everything. Um, But, like, I also have another full-time job. And uh, if I can um, push some of this off onto someone who knows what they're doing seems like a win-win for both of us right it's funny uh i just talked my episode with david britain's coming out tomorrow and he did his album with on tour records so oh yeah that's the second time i've heard on tour so really cool and as far as preparing 
for the material and stuff like mm -hmm. that, you know, how many, how, how many years of, of comedy do you have rolled up into the hour that you're going to put on the album? Um, I mean, I've been doing comedy for about five or six years. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, like, I don't have a ton of jokes that from, you know, like, early, early in my career that I'm still doing, because, you know, a lot of that is learning how to be on stage and timing and mm -hmm. how to write a joke and things like that. Um, and you can be like, funny and entertaining in that, but not necessarily like, you know, album worthy, like, <laughs> jokes, right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and so, yes, some of them, you know, stick around and some of them evolve into other things. And what was once a, you know, whole three, four minute joke is now like a throwaway line kind of in another joke. Right, and yeah. that's just like how it happens. Um, so uh, I've been doing a lot of sets where I get to... It, it it's hard because um, I want to do like an hour at the album recording so that I can kind of like cherry pick the best 45 or 50 minutes of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hard to get to like, you, you know, people are, have been really helpful in, in like giving me longer sets to practice and stuff, but it's like, it's still hard to get someone to like let you run an hour. So, yeah. you know, um, I'll, I'll probably have only done like the complete thing you know, a handful of times before the actual album recording, but um, I'm getting to do like 20 minute, 30 minute chunks of it a bunch. And that's been really helpful too. Uh, I can like play around with the order a little bit and see, okay, how do I like how this works and stuff. Very cool. You, you talked a little bit about jokes that uh, either evolve into something bigger or get uh, crushed down to something smaller. Do you yeah. have any, it, I was just thinking about this because I, I don't do very many sets lately because of COVID and all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. my son's getting married and we're my, uh, I've got a young, uh, young grandson and, uh, even younger grandson. So I, I'm just, I'm just not getting out that much. And I did a uh, show Saturday, no Friday. And I looked back at my joke book that all the stuff that I'd written and I was looking at some of that stuff and I was looking at things that have evolved in the stuff that was bigger. And I've looked at yeah. stuff that I've just thrown away and I've looked at stuff that exactly what you said just became a throwaway line. Do you have yeah. anything in your that, that you've written that you love so much as maybe even a minute or two minute joke that just started to become stale and you were sorry that it went away that you miss it almost like you miss a friend <laughs> um yeah I think I've had a couple of those I'm trying to remember anything specific but yeah it's it's so weird sometimes how like you'll tell a joke for the longest time that like just lands and does really well and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it's like I don't know if like I've lost my zest for it or yeah. like what you know um but yeah I guess so when I guess I I used to really frequently tell this joke it was like um everybody says that Jewish people are so good with money but weren't they the first ones to get caught up in a pyramid scheme uh -huh. um <laughs> and like at first like it was getting great responses. And then I don't know if people like thought that like thought maybe it was kind of anti-Semitic or anything. And it's like, <laughs> it's a wordplay joke. It's not anti-Semitic. And, yeah. so, <laughs> like, um, and, and I also had like, you know, and not 
that I want to be like, oh, I, I have a black friend. There's not like that. But uh, like I had mm. multiple Jewish people come to me and say like, that joke is hilarious and it's not. Any as far as what you decided to make as material for the album, what, what was it that, you know, you've been, you've been thinking about this for a while and you're planning it. What mm -hmm. was it that made you make the cut, not make the cut? Did you cut anything out that you think, uh, that you think you might need to put back in? I mean, wh where are you at right now as far as your, uh, your set lineup? Yeah. So I, I think I have like, a I I've got it down to at this point, like a pretty firm idea of like what order I want to do it in and everything. Um, but I, it's been really fun to be really deliberate about, you, you know, a lot of times when you're going on stage, it's like, like, Oh, I want to try some new stuff or, or and, and I haven't really been like working on or writing any new stuff because I'm working on like perfecting and punching up the existing mm -hmm. jokes. And so being really deliberate about that has been, um, different, um, you know, as mm -hmm. opposed to like, um, so much, uh, I feel like of, of comedy is it's like how much quantity can you produce? Um, uh, yeah. you always like one, that's what keeps it interesting for like us as comics is to be able to write new jokes about our experiences and stuff like that. And then just, Oh, you know, stuff is, is like only relevant in the zeitgeist for so long, um, that you want to make comments on and stuff. And it's just so, um, trying to pick out material that was going to be like, you know, timeless and have like a great, like appeal to people, but also, you know, really shows a lot of like, um, who I am. So I do like, um, you know, a, a chunk about, uh, like my relationships to do a chunk about like um, work working in um, in hospice and um, like the like death and dying industry mm -hmm. um, I you know just so just some different stuff like that that um, you know I talk about like uh, like how terrible our healthcare system is and stuff um, but I make it fun you know it's yeah. a fun it's a fun talk about gun control is what it uh -huh. is yeah you know, a lot of gut busters yeah no <laughs> I've watched a lot of your clips and and you're you're very good at taking subjects that are touchy like that and lightening up to the point where just about everybody is okay with it and yeah, yeah have you had any incidents though because you've got a couple that might go either way um i i did get like audibly booed one time because uh -huh. i uh told like a trump joke and it wasn't e again it wasn't even like a super offensive trump joke or it was like uh donald trump is the president the same way that crocs are shoes uh-huh uh, like it's factually accurate yeah <laughs> uh, and like they these people they they were like already pretty drunk and but they started like audibly booing me from the uh -huh. back of the room um so yeah i mean i'm definitely gonna do yeah some stuff that uh, the stuff that's like a little bit i don't know somewhat edgy i guess um, but this is also like my crowd, you know, this is, yeah. they're, 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 they didn't just buy tickets to go out to see a comedy show. They specifically, you know, bought them to see me. So, right. Right. You, um, you get what you pay for people. Yeah. 
So you uh, you said you started about five or six years ago. What was it that made you want to start stand up? Yeah, so I had always like um, performed a lot as a kid, like in high school, college, and, and you know younger than that. And then um, once I grad, but once I graduated from um, nursing school, uh, I was working nights, and it's really hard to like commit to doing a lot of stuff that happens in the evening when you work nights. Um, so I, you know, that all kind of like was on a back burner, but then once I, um, finished grad school and, um, got kind of a more like eight to five kind of schedule, I I was like, well, I really, I would really like to, you know, get back into performing and like working on creativity. Um, and, Comedy seemed like a really good option because it's a, it's a little bit like on your own terms, you know, you Mm -hmm. don't have to be like at rehearsal for Godspell every night for the next six weeks or something like that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) uh, not, not that I would love to be part of, um, someone's amateur production of Godspell. Oh yeah. Yeah. Call call me. Okay. Call me. But, um, yeah, so initially it was kind of a thing where I was like, oh, I just want to get on stage like once a month or something. Mm. And then, but like once you start doing it, you you can't just do something once a month and like expect to get good at it, you know? Right. Yeah, no doubt. And I loved it. And I was, I was pretty good at it. Again, I think because I had a lot of like performance experience, like I already knew how to like hold a microphone and, mm. you know introduce someone on stage and be introduced on stage and things like that, that, you know, we take for granted, like there is an actual learning curve for some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like people who have like either a performance or improv background kind of like, they kind of get to like, they almost like skip a year or two of like, comedy experience you know because they're not spending that first year just getting over like stage fright and nerves and stuff like that. So right. Uh, yeah, so, um, I, yeah, I loved it and I just wanted to be like better at it and continue to get to like do an art form that I think is really fun and, um, unique and challenges me, but it's also like, we're so lucky. Like we, I think we take for granted that like we get to, you know, even if like, if you're regularly hitting the open mic scene and like a a bigger city i mean you get to see a live comedy show like four or five six times a week like yeah yeah how there's definitely some gold in those too the, yeah you, yeah you you get surprised and somebody comes up for their first time or somebody comes from out of town or something like that and yeah you uh you you if you pay attention you really get some good stuff absolutely yeah and just hearing people's laughter is like so healing and, mm-hmm. yeah so um yeah, that's what I, that's what, kind of why I got into it and cool. kept doing it, I guess. And you're a really good writer. I read some of your AWF articles. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, even a couple about the parks, too. And <laughs> Ooh. Good, good stuff there. And, you know, you're good at you know, the satire and and the and all that. Do you write for anybody else besides uh, AWF? Not right now. Because um, okay. yeah. your, your, your writing is really good. I really oh, thank you uh, i really liked uh, your articles and you got quite a few there so yeah do you hear that like reduct you. do you hear that reductress yeah <laughs> stop turning me down 
<laughs> yeah, my seal of approval is going to get you far. But uh, <laughs> so thinking about when you started and then when you finally figured that, hey, I'm really good at this, and yet you're trying to juggle what I would say is probably one of the most stressful full-time jobs if you're working for a hospice uh, that you could possibly have. How do you juggle the comedy and doing the hospice nursing type stuff and caring for people? How, how does that mix for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I would be as good at my job as a, as a hospice nurse practitioner if I wasn't, um, if I didn't have that outlet, um, mm -hmm. you know, like at the beginning of the pandemic last year, you know, I, I never got a day off. Like, you yeah. know, we, we all continue, healthcare yeah. workers continued to work. Right. Um, and so w when I like had to go to work and didn't have that release, that outlet, you know, even one or two nights a week to be able to go to an open mic or something, it, it was so hard. <laughs> like it was so hard to stay like motivated. Um, but you know, you see, you see a lot of really, really sad stuff, but you also see like stuff that's just hilarious, you know, yeah. the stuff that people tell you, uh, and you know, they'll share their talents with you. Like one time, um, I, like I met a patient who used to play, um, backup guitar for Johnny Cash for like a little while. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, like just some of the stuff that they tell you, it's like, whoa, this is incredible. Um, so, uh, and a lady who was like a professional ballroom dancer who like traveled around the country to, you know, and it's just, you would never know these people just live, you know, in a little unassuming house. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it, so I've always been pretty good at like uh, finding the funny in stuff that that isn't like necessarily maybe funny, um, and I like love Jerry Seinfeld growing up that kind of like observational humor. So like uh -huh. um, I don't pull like a ton a ton from my from my work just um, you know because of like patient confidentiality and stuff, and it can be kind of a bummer to for like people who don't enjoy talking about death every day. Like I do. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> well, cause you imagine if one of your tracks gets on serious and it's yeah. about somebody that died and their kinfolk are listening and they, like, they hey, discover, Hey, talking about Nana. Aunt so, Mamie's famous. Yeah. No, I mean, I do a pretty good job of like disguising, you know, not giving any like identifying information, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, that's, yeah, kind of how I balance it, I guess. Very good. Very good. So as far as your, um, your comedy is concerned, I mean, I looked at a lot of videos and I mean, you can, you can do a mean pun and you can do really good Mr. X and you can also do good stories and, and things like that. And you mix it up really well. Did you, when you started, did you have, were, were you like a one-liner? Were you all puns? Were you all Mr. X? How did you evolve from where, when you started to where you are now? 
That's a really good question, and you're doing a really good job pointing out that I'm a jack of all trades, master of none, and uh, need to that's not what I said. I said you're good at all of it. No, need to commit to a style. Um, I feel like there, it takes a little bit of skill to do a um, like a story joke. Well, mm. I almost feel like you have to have a little bit of like street cred before. Mm. Um, cause you have to be okay with like silence during a story, right? You, you can't get like nervous and speed up and stuff like that. You have to be able to either know how to like pepper in more jokes. So there's not silence or just mm -hmm. be okay with like, Hey, there's 45 seconds of exposition in this story and y'all are just gonna have to sit tight for it. Right. So, right. um, but yeah, I probably did a lot more like, um, one liners, puns and Mr. X when I first started out. Uh -huh. um, yeah. I could not write a pun to save my life. <laughs> oh, sure I, you could. I recognize them when I hear them, uh -huh. but for me to think of one, my brain just doesn't do that. I, mm. I absolutely cannot yeah. do that. It's funny you talk about setups and how you have to keep people interested even when they're not laughing. And uh, a few weeks ago, I had uh, uh, Liz uh, Mele on. And mm -hmm. she she has a style where there's a lot of exposition, there's a lot of setup, and she says that she still, I mean, she's pretty famous. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, she's very well respected, and there's still people who won't book her because of the way because she doesn't do last per minute. You know, she yeah. Uh, and I don't think it matters as long as people are leaning in and paying attention. And mm -hmm. you know, I I talked to people. I've talked to a couple Australian comics and a couple of comics from the UK, and it's totally different over there. You they give you all the time right. you want to do a setup as long as the story's good. And yeah, I, I yeah. wish I wish our attention spans were a little bit better here in the States. Yeah, or I guess I just I wish that the same people weren't like the tastemakers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause there's room for all different all different kinds of comedy like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree because there is, I mean, there's definitely a place for somebody that, you know, just spits out a hundred one-liners in 20 minutes and gets a laugh at each one, you know, a Mitch Hedberg type or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, and, yeah. You know, there's space for that, but I like storytelling type stuff. I, I like to, you know, kind of be uh, taken on a little journey when I'm, when I'm yeah. laughing, you know, so yeah. That's, yeah, that, that, that's what I like, but as far as the Indianapolis scene is concerned, I, I don't think, and I'm not close to it, but I don't think I've met anybody from the Indianapolis scene that I just didn't like. You know what oh, I mean? That said, who's your hospitality, Scott? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's right in our goddamn state motto. Yeah. <laughs> we have to be nice. Yeah, but I was in South Bend and there was quite a few I didn't like there. So, okay, but, <laughs> but it seems like you guys are, um, I, I guess, pretty supportive of each other. And, and, you know, I see, you know, you do a show and you have comic, certain comics on, and then some of those comics do a show. And it just seems like you guys are constantly feeding each other gigs and just being nice to each other. Yeah. Is yeah, that the, is my impression right about that? Yeah, I think so. Um, people, you know, are 
I think for the most part, the people who, you know, kind of are book shows in town, um, really try to like make a conscious effort to, you know, have a lot of different people on the shows. And so that means you're not just like booking your three friends every single time. Um, mm. and, um, I think that, you know, people just, they genuinely like want people to succeed, um, uh, whatever that means to them, you know? Mm. And it's like a lot, I think a lot of people too under, I think hopefully understand that, um, one person, like someone else's success is not my failure. You know? mm -hmm. Right. Right. I, and I think that's a very good tack to have. And if you have that attitude, then you're probably going to do better than if uh, you're just constantly jealous of people who do well. Yeah. Like I, I can't be on every show. I don't want to be on every show. Yeah. It would be boring for audiences if I was on every show. Right. So I can't like get upset when other people get opportunities that, you know, it's like I will get opportunities that they won't and that's okay. You know? Right. Right. No doubt. Now you've gotten to work with some big names and big names, you know, they come and go and they, they do their show. What is, what's the most positive? I, I don't like to ask about negative stuff. What's the most positive uh -huh. experience you had working with some, one of the big names? Um, I got to open for Eliza Schlesinger when she came to Indianapolis uh -huh. uh, last year, like right before the pandemic. And it was just a phenomenal experience. One, mm. she was just the nicest person and was like, come sit with me while I do my makeup, you know, and just like, <laughs> you know, chatted with me and I got to play with her little dog and it was so, uh -huh. so sweet. Um, and like just made everything so easy for me. You know, it was talk about being starstruck. I got to like drive my car right up next to like the old nationals and Murat theater uh -huh. and park like where they load in the drum kit or whatever. Uh, if it's a, if it's a concert yeah. and like walk right in and like be like, I'm on the show and have some like, big burly security guard come for <laughs> me. It was so bizarre. Like, um, but so, and then um, just to, so it was two shows and the um, that theater seats about 2,500, 3,000 people, I think. So the first one was completely sold out. And the second one was like um, 17, 1800 um, mm -hmm. at the second show. Um, but to just to perform for a room that big was just so mind blowing. Um, and then to get to sit like directly backstage and watch her just like, put on a master class about physical comedy because that's kind of like what she does um, uh -huh. was was a really a lot of fun. So. That's cool. With yeah. a venue that big, this is kind of a weird question, but with a venue that big and you've got that many people in the audience, you have the opportunity to understand what it's like to feel the rolling laugh as the sound. Yes. Goes did, did you experience that? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's this one joke or where the pun like the punchline is like that's a that was a spelling joke for the people in the and I said for the people in the back and uh -huh. you know it was like you had to wait for it to go like that and and then like the other like this is gonna sound so weird Scott but like so the first show was sold out and like I said the second one was like you know three quarters of the way sold out uh -huh. you could tell a difference. 
Oh yeah, I bet. you could tell a difference that you're like, oh, okay, so there are about a thousand less people in this room. It feels a little different. Yeah, <laughs> not which it's still the second largest crowd I've performed in front of uh-huh. was that crowd. Yeah, but it still felt different <laughs> than the like 2,500 ones. So. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I got to see, and I'm not gonna. Uh, name the comedian, but I got to see a comedian in Indianapolis, and I like the show so much that when they came to South Bend, I went to see the same show. And uh-huh. my wife and I went, and I I didn't care that. Yeah, I knew he was going to say the same stuff, and I yeah. I didn't care. I just wanted to see it again, but it was really funny because it was a weird crowd, and it wasn't sold out, and the show on Indy was sold out. Uh, and yeah. I think he actually added another show after it. So really, he did really different well there. Crowd, yeah. And the energy was just totally different. It was it was almost like he was just off. And uh-huh. the people who were there that weren't at the one in the Indianapolis, they probably didn't even notice. Yeah, and, but, but you, you could know, tell. Yeah, and I thought I was being a comedy snob or something like that. And And my wife said, the same thing she said really? yeah it, there, it, this is really different and yeah yeah so it's it's really it's I learned because I, I I saw another comedian in Chicago that I thought I really liked and he was just absolutely awful the night I saw him oh, really? and I just I was just totally turned off this guy for for the rest rest of the time and then I saw this other comedian do this and I'm like yeah I guess you can have a really off night even when you're a, a big shot so yeah. it, <laughs> it was it was a weird experience so I was glad I went through it because uh-huh. it made me appreciate comedy more and audiences more but uh, yeah it was it was a, it was a weird experience yeah. um Next question. Uh, the, um, sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I, it's just one of those days. I, I keep having technical difficulties and I, I was barely ready when you got, when you came on the screen. So anyhow, <laughs> no um, as far as the, um, your, your, your material goes, you know, it's, it's kind of universal. I mean, you, you don't, you some, I'm trying to think of the channels on Sirius. Okay, so I think your material could land at least on two channels on Sirius. You could be on the Squeaky Clean channel and the Raw Dog. Uh, oh, I don't think I could be on the Squeaky Clean channel. Oh, there is a middle one, isn't there? There's a Squeaky yeah. Clean, and then there's the Somewhat Clean, and then Raw Dog. Yeah. 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 But you could probably you could probably get on both of those with your material yeah i mean there might be a handful that i could have on the clean channel but who knows yeah but yeah that's the one that really like um gets the most airplay i guess the like um the waiting list to get on the raw dog station is like you know a mile long oh really yeah well everybody's got raunchy material yeah yeah (laughs) And I've I've heard some material that that's funny though because some of the material I've heard on Raw Dog Raw Dog is super old. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just got my I, I didn't have XM for a long time, and I just got like they offered me ninety days for free, so I'm gonna do it for ninety days and then probably nice. shut it off again <laughs> because okay. I don't like paying for things. <laughs> but, Very fair. Yeah. Um, as far as um, the uh, places you've you've uh 
performed at. I, I, I saw some clips at the uh, comedy attic. Can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit? Because I, I've got, I've talked to a lot of people that love the comedy attic. Um, yeah. uh, I had Todd glass on a few weeks ago and he, when I mentioned the comedy attic, he went on a Todd glass uh, a rant so, about how great it is and how shitty all the other comedy comedy clubs are. But tell me about the comedy attic and how that has shaped your comedy, because I I've heard that it just rubs off on people and makes you a better comic. Yeah. Um, the comedy attic is, is such a fantastic comedy club. Um, they, you know, really and truly care about like, the art form of comedy and mm. um, making sure that comics have a great experience and, um, you know, are just really like able to do their art or whatever, you know, mm. if you can call our dick and fart jokes art. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Bloomington is kind of like a unique town in that it's a college town, but there are also, it's kind of like um, almost like a little hippie enclave yeah. in, Indiana, um, which is otherwise like largely, you know, outside of Indianapolis, a, a pretty like red state, pretty conservative state. Um, but for, you know, whatever reason, I think some of it is um, the university being there and, mm. and some of that other kind of stuff. It, it is, it attracts like, um, like I said, just kind of a little like diverse, educated, hippie kind of community. Um, and when they come out to shows, they're very supportive and very like kind, um, and, and generous with their laughs. Mm -hmm. Um, the staff is fantastic. Um, you know, they did a really amazing job. I think they, they had said this year that like, uh, they didn't have a single COVID case amongst their staff, um, yeah. because they were just all like really cared about being careful and stuff. Um, so, and then, um, Jared, the owner of the comedy attic is, uh, he's a delight and, um, uh -huh. he, you know, I, I owe him a lot for like taking a chance on me, um, letting me like headline my first club weekend there. So, um, it was, uh, it was a really big deal and I, I you know, I can't thank him enough for that. So. Yeah. I only got to go see a show at the comedy attic a couple times, but, uh, and I can't even remember who I saw. I wanted to see Marin uh, when he did mm -hmm. it and wasn't able to get there. But both my kids went to IU and they were like back to back, like when my daughter graduated okay. and son started. started so, so they, I know they went to some shows and really. Yeah. I was just, I was just really, it, it it's, it's funny when you create an atmosphere like that. And it's funny, I'm going to be talking this about this on two in a row because I talked to uh, uh, David about the same stuff um, yeah. because he recorded his album there. And, yeah. And But uh, it's funny when you go in there and it's almost, I know that Jared really has rules and he doesn't, he doesn't let the audience fuck around uh, right. too much before... Uh, uh, he stops them, but uh, it just seems like one of those places that just has so much art in the walls or something like that. that it's uh, it, it's not only a good place to see comedy, but it seems like stuff is almost created there. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. I I think when you're in an environment like that where you can tell that like everybody else is taking it really 
seriously as serious as you can say take comedy right yeah uh you know (laughs) this is this is all like uh relative yeah (laughs) (laughs) but like if you if you go in there knowing okay you know these people are gonna pay attention to me um and that i'm not gonna have to worry about like anybody being like distracting in the audience or anything like that then um I think it one like pushes you to do your best and then also makes you feel like you have the opportunity to maybe like stretch your legs a little bit mm-hmm. and and say, okay, I'm gonna take it take a chance on this or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you've got exactly thirty days before the album recording. What's your plans after it's done? Um I I mean I think it's starts up with like i have to like listen to rough cuts of it and try to make decisions i would this is the part that i have no interest or desire or like know how to do um in fact scott i don't hear very well if we're gonna be real honest to be like not not i'm I'm kidding but like uh to to be like oh uh can we turn up the fade a little bit yeah on the bass drum uh on that cover of tom sawyer by rush or whatever I don't, I'll just be like, yeah, can they hear what I said? And can they hear people laugh at it? Then that's, that's enough for me. Like I'm fine. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I think there's some of that. <laughs> um, and then, um, I haven't planned a lot beyond that because, um, you know, I honestly, like earlier this year I was still not sure I was how much anybody was going to be able to like be out on the road or anything mm. with COVID. Um, so, but I think we're, I think I read something recently that we're about to get to this thing to where it's endemic, where everyone is either vaccinated or has been exposed um, or is dead. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so, uh, I, I feel like next year, like once the album comes out, which I'm pushing for like late February, um, Mm. I would like to maybe take some time and like go out on the road a little bit to promote it. Um, even if just, you know, like in the, around the Midwest and the like Southeast. Okay, cool. Coincidentally, your proposed release date is when my lease is up in this stupid apartment. So maybe we'll both have a good day. Maybe we'll both, uh, you'll get an album release and I can live in a townhouse or something again. Perfect. Without uh, dinosaurs living above me. I it's also it's my 40th birthday so um that's like the impetus oh, cool. for releasing yeah. it then is is that I can be like hey if you would like to wish me a happy birthday you can please pre-order my album yeah that's really neat now um so 40 was not a big deal for me but 30 was what, what, what okay. was that for you, the same for you um, well you haven't hit 40 yet so you don't know. Yeah, I haven't I haven't hit forty yet. Thirty was was fun. I had a really nice time. I think I played ski ball and had some wine. Okay. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I got blackout drunk. So yeah, there you <laughs> all go. All right, all right. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was before Uber. So Ooh. you know, I had to have somebody else take me home, and I had to go back for my car still. Uh, <laughs> One of the, you know, one of the things that we're 
friends on Facebook. Who knows how that stuff happens? Because we don't even really know each other, but uh, it happens. The magic everybody, of the internet. Everybody with a mic in their hand gets a friend request from somebody else with a mic in their hand. Exactly. But you mentioned something that I, I've never really brought up to any of my uh guests of the female pers persuasion because I don't think it's my spot to be talking about it but it just seems so stupid that guys are still doing the stuff that guys did when I was a young guy yeah and so you're you, you you mentioned some things and we don't want to get into specifics or stuff like that but do you have any theories on why men are so stupid and especially men who are at a comedy show? It's a great question. Uh, <laughs> one, one that I think we've been asking for a very long time. So yeah. I'm not sure we're going to get to the bottom of it here tonight. Uh, spoiler alert. But, um, yeah. So kind of the particular instance you were talking about the other, uh, or not, exactly but i had made a post on facebook the other day and the th the thing that like it had made me so incensed about this um was that i had just had like three different men tell me like in the last you know two weeks before that that they're like man it is a great time to be a woman in comedy <sighs> and what i would like people to do is is learn the difference between the words better and great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, just as it is, it, 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 it is, it is better. It is better. Mm -hmm. But to say that it is great, um, I, I think is probably not accurate. And I also don't think that you as a man get to, uh, not you, but like the, the Royal you, you, I, I don't think yeah. you, you as a man get to decide <laughs> that it's, um, that it's a great time to be a woman in comedy mm. um, because in, in this particular um, scenario that I was, I, I had had um, like several men over the summer introduced me on stage saying um, something to the effect of that they wanted to have sex with me. And two of them said something to the effect of that, like if I didn't do it willingly, they were going to force it upon me. Um and this is as they're introducing me, like as yeah. I'm about to walk out on stage and like do a set. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> and then um, I, yeah, like had, I, then I had like several other people like um, want to like hug me and then like kiss me and during a uh -huh. respiratory pandemic. And I'm like, what do you, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just that they're like nervous on stage and it translates to that or, they are they think that that's a compliment and that's gonna like gas me up or get me you know like feel good before I go out on stage mm -hmm. um I but I assure you it doesn't like having mm -hmm. somebody talk about raping me right before I go out <laughs> on stage it is like the last thing to get me in a good head right for doing comedy yeah um, no doubt yeah and then it's like it also becomes too it's like if i say something then like i'm kind of a bitch and then i have to win the audience back over from that you know uh -huh. Uh -huh. um you know oftentimes they'll they'll like be with you and be like yeah you tell them or whatever um but then other times it, it's it's like 
Well, now I have to get you back on my side because I'm going to tell this like really kind of uncomfortable funeral joke. Um, And I can't, you know, that only, I only like get the license to do that because I've built up five minutes of goodwill beforehand. Right. Right. Um, So, yeah. And and the best case scenario, they just fuck that up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I, yeah, I don't know if they're just trying to be funny or they think it's like a palling around like friend kind of thing. And I'm like, would you say that to the next guy coming on stage? Like. Yeah. you i i yeah i don't understand i don't understand um i i don't know all like all i want people to do is be like she's from indianapolis it's gwen Sockle. like you don't have to yeah. say anything else <laughs> and, and very when people say like ask for like how do you want to be introduced i'm like i don't i you know just say i'm from indianapolis that's don't have yeah. to remember anything special um so I don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew. What are your thoughts, Scott? Why do you think that men are? I, well, I do have some thoughts. Uh, I, I still believe it is a power thing. So I think anytime the, they um, sexualize you, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they are the person in power. Uh-huh. That's, that's my own thing. Yeah, I mean, you um, are much more cynical than I am. <laughs> um, but it's probably true. It's, it's uh, probably 100% true. Yeah, we don't like to think about that. Um, or I, I don't like to think about that. But yeah, it's um, it's like infantilizing in other ways. And then yeah. um, like, <sighs> but it's like you're a male in comedy. Like you're already the one in power, you know, like what? why do you need to like flex right before I'm going out there to try to do the thing that I'm here to do? Yeah. Well, we are, uh, you know, as, as a group, little, little boys and we, you know, our, you know, our growth was stunted somewhere. So, but I just, I, it really bugs me because I've, I've never, it's never even entered my mind to do anything like that because it's work. I mean, yeah. you're at work and your set is your work and yeah. whatever subjects you decide to talk about, that doesn't go into before and after. That's no. that's all encapsulated on yeah. in your in your thing and then beyond that it's be nice, be respectful and get on to the next thing. It's yeah. it's just work. Yeah, like like whatever job you have outside of doing comedy, if you have one, do, could you say that to one of your coworkers? Like, if you were introducing someone at a meeting or something, would you, mm-hmm. would you say that about them? And I get that you know things have context and stuff, but the, the other thing too is like these people aren't even like my friends where we have right. like a joking relationship like that, and it's like you know it's not a show at a comedy club where i'm trying to get past it's like somebody's backyard birthday show or something like that i can take mm-hmm. a joke there's a time and place for stuff right um, and you know uh but uh, uh, yeah like i said it's other times and especially if i don't know you mm-hmm. um we don't have that we don't have it like that right right yeah there's you know, i i I have a hard time understanding that it is still as prevalent as it is because we've been talking about this for quite a while now. 
And, yeah. Um, and it just, it, I, 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 you're right. We're not going to come up with an answer, but I did want to, <laughs> I did want to mention it on at least one of my shows because I, I hope somebody listens and thinks a little bit before they say shit. Yeah. That, so I appreciate that. that. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's what I'm going for. I hope, and yeah. uh, you know, this is a question I ask everybody, and I stopped asking the the negative part of the question because I would just, I just want positivity. I want this to yeah. be so fucking positive, and that that's what I want. And so, what are the three things that you know now? I'm going in slow motion now. What are the three? What are the three things that you know now that you wish you would have known when you first started stand-up comedy? Um, so write way more than you think you need to write. Okay. Um, don't be afraid to get rid of a joke if it's not working uh -huh. um, or, or rework it. Um, and... Uh, just be nicer than necessary to people. Like everybody's going through something. Uh -huh. I mean, that's just good life advice in general, but uh -huh. um, you, you know, again, you, you, you tearing other people down doesn't make you more successful. So like, uh -huh. I guess focus on what you're doing and like stay in your lane and what success means for you. And, um, don't don't worry about like what uh, opportunities other people are or are not getting. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what's the best piece of advice you ever got from another comedian? Oh, um, I mean, I do a pretty good job of this, but like having fun, I think is because okay. <laughs> um, so often we get uh, I, I and I'm guilty of it too. Like when my schedule is really busy or I'm burnout or tired or it's like, I don't want to drive four hours round trip to do this show in a shitty bar in the middle of nowhere. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah, just that you get to do that. And it's like, it, like, it's awesome that you uh -huh. get to do that. And, and like, don't let the, um, like the grind of it, uh, pull you down, you know? Yeah. Don't let it kill the joy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I also think it's really important too, that people um, like have other interests beyond just doing comedy. Mm. Um, because if comedy is like the only thing you care about, like, yeah, those heartbreaks are going to be even more heartbreaking. And, you know, the highs are going to be higher, the lows are going to be lower. And you also aren't that interesting. You don't have anything to talk about if the only yeah. thing you're, you're doing is stand up comedy. Right, right. Yeah, so instead of uh, 12 open mics in a week, maybe maybe just give yourself one night off. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, <laughs> join a bowling league or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I can't, I can't uh, uh, plug the recording of your album because you told me it just sold out. So uh, It just sold out today. Yeah, congratulations on that. Thank but uh, what, what do you have coming up and where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm going to be at uh, Black Circle Brewing on this Sunday coming up. Um, the first Thursday of every month, I'm always uh, at an evening with the authors um, at the White Rabbit Cabaret. Um, 
I'm doing a backup, like I'm, I'm doing kind of like a dress rehearsal recording for my album in Louisville on November 4th. So if you are in Kentucky or Louisville nearby and would like to come out, uh, that one is not sold out. Okay. And I don't know many people in Louisville, so come on by. Right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you can find uh, all of my information. Um, my social media handles for everything are at Gwender Woman. So like Wonder Woman, but Gwen. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you again for being on the show. It was really nice talking to you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Bye.